0: Welcome to a safe place podcast For people that are struggling now with mental health This is the advice we'd like to give to somebody that's silently struggling You don't have to live that way You don't have to struggle in silence You can now be unsilent. You can live well with a mental health condition As long as you open up to somebody about it Because it's really important you share your experience with people so that you can get the help you need and the help you deserve. welcome everybody once again to a safe place podcast and in this week's episode we've got a special guest on which is david bowman welcome david how you doing mate
1: thank you andrew um, i'm doing well a little bit nervous but that's
0: okay don't worry mate i'm there with you a little bit of nerves in me how you doing craig all yeah, right it's good so yeah so tell us your story then david uh where would you like me to start I'll go right back to uh where you think it's relevant my friend
1: <clears throat> well You know, I'll introduce myself. I'm David as an ad, I'm a grateful recovering addict. um, And I believe, like, some people think that they're born with a disease of addiction.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not so sure if that's the case because I remember um, some traumatic experiences as a kid that uh, instilled a lot of fear in me. Yeah. And from that moment on, that fear stayed with me throughout my childhood and into... My life, basically. and um, uh, So about that experience, um, I was living with my mum and dad in Birmingham. I was born in Coventry. We was living in Birmingham. Um, They were on the run. I didn't know that at the time. I was three years old. And uh, so... I remember being a happy kid. It was in a multicultural district of Birmingham. There was people who spoke different languages. My friends were different colours. I never felt any different from
2: them. What era was this? Sorry. With the. It would have been about
1: 1970.
2: The 70s. Okay. Yeah. Got
1: you. So I think it was Saltley we were living in, which is a predominantly Asian area. If yeah. I'm Right. So I remember one day on the doorstep, there was a commotion, and I remember being on holding my mum's hand on the doorstep, and there was a lot of men attacking my dad.
0: And How old uh, was you, David, when you was witnessing this? Three, hmm. and
1: uh, it was really violent. And I didn't know at the time that they were police because they were in plain clothes. And um, my mum was screaming, I was screaming,
2: and um oh. oh I'm, yeah, so you're going back there in yeah, a sense, there. Yeah. Right? It's very difficult to talk about something that's, you know, you've experienced because you bring back the feelings up, don't you? So that's right. So yeah, talk to know. me
0: about those feelings, David. When you go back there and you've seen those images in your mind right now through those three year old lads' eyes, I, I can
1: still feel that fear. Yeah. I can
0: still feel that fear, fear and that um, lack of control,
1: and that uh, everything was just taken away from, us, from me yeah. and, and my family at that
2: moment. And, yeah. and
1: life changed. From there, life changed for me.
2: At the age of three, it's a shame, and not it. it? Somebody, uh, I, I don't know whether this is true for you, but I'm sure that no one really explained what was going on. So you experienced some of and the adults knew what was going on. Yeah. yeah. But you never knew what was going on. It was madness to you, wasn't it?
1: It's really interesting that you say that, and I'll come to that uh, not knowing as the story goes on. Yeah. Because... The the fight in the garden went on for um, what seemed a, a long time. I'm not sure exactly of the amount of time. And then my dad was uh, put in handcuffs and marched away by this group of men. And then me and my mum were taken away and put in two separate cars, me and my mum in one car uh, and my dad in another car in front of us. And when we got into Birmingham city centre... Um, it became apparent that they were police because we got to the police station and I seen a police uniform. But my first thought was police safety.
0: Yeah.
1: Because no one had ever told me never to trust the police at that time. So my first thought was uh, police. So that I, equ- I equated that with safety. Yeah. So um, I grabbed a, a policeman's leg because I was in fear. I was screaming, still crying. And he, he, sh- he violently shook me off his leg and shouted, get this little bastard out of here. And uh, me and my mum ended up in one cell. My dad ended up in another cell. And I remember my nan and my granddad on my dad's side coming to get me and take me to live with them. But I didn't see my mum and dad again for a few years. Uh, They went to prison. for My dad committed a violent offence in Coventry. And my mum perverted the cause of justice, protected
0: When you go back, David, to that little lad that hold on to that police officer's leg because you assumed police meant safety. Mm. And he handled that situation by kicking you off and saying, get this, uh, I went into shock. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, when you, when you describe that, the feeling that I get hearing it is like pure rage. Yeah. The anger that come up in me then when you said that, that an adult can do that to a little kid that's just been through that.
2: A professional
1: adult as well. Yeah. It's
0: just, it makes me feel sick.
1: Um, I, I, well, if it makes you feel sick, sick, sick listening to it, yeah. um, I, I carried resentments all my life because of it. I bet you did, yeah. yeah. Um, so I went to live with my nan and granddad and going back to what you said about um, not knowing, I constantly asked questions. Where's my mum? Where's my dad? And my nan and granddad, um, trying to protect me as best they could, yeah. would
2: say, don't ask questions. Yeah, and it's crazy that is, isn't it? Like, Kids need explanations, because otherwise cause we make up our own illusions, don't we? They way? do,
0: but at, the, at that time, the adults are trying to protect you from knowing it all, in a sense. They think they're doing you a good thing by not telling you.
1: They were, like, my nan and grandad were, like, amazing. They were, like, a bit of both of what you just said. They thought they were protecting me, yeah. but really, they weren't in that ah, sense. Absolutely, yeah. But the security was there. Yeah. You know, I was well looked after, and and I had the security... But as soon as my mum come out of prison, she come and got me, and I went and lived with her, and um, just life just got worse and worse after that with um, more traumatic experiences. Yeah. You
2: know. Sorry to go uh, backwards on the story, but you know the time when your uh, grandparents said, "Don't ask questions." Yeah. Did you make up any stories of what had happened? Did you guess?
1: I was just. My mum's sister, um, no, I didn't, I can't remember making up stories. I was just constantly in question, like, you know. Um, my mum's sister used to come to my nan's house um, and I used to ask her. As soon as i seen her, I'd say, where's my mum? And again, it would be shut down.
2: Don't ask questions. Did you think it was anything to do with you or was you aware it was your parents?
1: When I used to get told not to uh, ask questions, I, I kept thinking I was doing something
2: wrong. Yeah. Do you know so um, there's another traumatic experience on top of the other one in a way. Yeah. Feeling
0: that, like that you can't ask questions. I yeah. mean, that's trauma in its own right, that you you can't be your own individual and ask what seems like a very normal question. Yeah. What's going on. And for you to be made to feel not, not purposely on their part, they're trying to protect you, but to be made to feel like you, you asking that question is doing something wrong that can really withdraw you and close you in on yourself, can't it? Yeah. And limit the chance of you ever opening up to try and resolve anything that's going on within you.
1: Yeah. I understand. Um, When I think about it and I think about why wouldn't they just sit me down and tell me what was going on? Yeah. I I do understand why. Yeah. Because um, what were they going to say? Oh, your, your dad committed this violent offense. So, you know, the police came and arrested him and that's why they battered him and that's why he's in prison that would have I I believe for me that would have been too much to take on at that age so I do understand why my nan and granddad were protecting me in that way
0: but it didn't help from a child's perspective Uh,
2: and then you turn inwards and and try and work things out for yourself don't you
0: and you say some of these patterns of behaviour continued as you was growing up David so you've moved on from the three year old David now and you're going into uh, teenage years what's going on in your life there mate uh, from before my t- <laughs>
1: <laughs> before my teenage years, I'd started rebelling in um, and and I'd do anything that was because I I didn't like the way I felt. Yeah. you know because I, I still had that fear. Yes, and I always felt uncomfortable. Um, so I used to do things to change the way I felt, and that would be I didn't know this. This was addictive behaviour. I didn't know this until I spoke to counsellors about it. Yeah, and I went to rehab. I'll come to that later in the story, but um. So I used to do things to change the way I felt and to do that without a substance was to be do something dangerous, like yeah. or just be naughty. So as kids we'd be going scrumping, you know, stealing apples, yeah, knocking people's doors and running away. Yeah. But for for me, I'd it'd have to be the most dangerous, like we'd have to know that we were getting chased. I've got yeah. And then it just went into like crime. You know, I got involved in crime at a young age, uh, never really fitted in at school. Um, I got expelled from school a couple of times and uh, ended up in secure units.
0: And finished my education in, in uh, secure units. So you you, you went through all of that. And as you brilliantly put it, you wanted to change the way that you felt. Mm. And you start pursuing activities that directly change that feeling, of feeling uncomfortable. Mm. You like the adrenaline, the feeling of being chased. And therein lies the beginnings of those addictive parts of your personality, which are there in a sense, believe it or not, as ways of trying to heal the initial trauma. It's just unconscious. You're naturally trying to change the way you feel. No one wants to feel bad. That's and you I mean. found behaviours that done that. It yeah. was just that they didn't serve you in the long term, did they? No, and the, and the consequences uh, of them weren't good. And they, and they kept getting worse because my actions kept getting worse. Yeah. And and think of that cycle right there. As it was getting worse, you felt worse. And then the addictive nature came out even more expressive. Yeah. So you got yourself stuck in a really negative cycle there, didn't you? I did, yeah, from a very young
1: age. Um And then, obviously, substances were an easier way to change the way I felt. Yeah.
2: It's a shame, isn't it, that you're, uh, in a way, in the end, you got addicted to the feeling that was uh, a feeling that you should never experience as a three-year-old, a pure fear. And then you live your life chasing that uh, behaviour because it's home to you when it should never have been home to you. No, that's right. You know, you should never have... um, and, you know, you can't be wrapped up in cotton wool, but you certainly shouldn't have experienced what you did.
1: No, And there's um, healthier ways to experience adrenaline and that, isn't there? Yeah. There is, yeah. Like
0: fairground ride, etc. Yeah. So talk to us then, David. So no one can argue the fact that you went through really bad trauma and yeah. you got stuck in uh, negative cycles of addiction to try and relieve yourself of feeling that trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did it all begin to change? Probably usually at a point when it got it, its worst, worst, isn't it?
1: Um, when I'm not clear, when did about it, what you're asking, when so, did it
0: begin to change? When did you start to become conscious that this was going on in your life and you can move forward to begin to change what was happening in your life?
1: I, I knew years ago, like um, 20 years ago, I knew a long time before that even. Um, But uh, 20 years ago, I woke up in a coma with some really serious life changing injuries. Yeah. From my behaviors. Yeah consequences of my behaviours to the wrong people. Yeah. And um, my nan was holding my hand when I come out of this coma not knowing if I was going to die. And um, I had all tubes coming into my body. I had a bullet in my leg. I had my fingers were chopped off. I had um, punctured lung, broken bones, broken jaw, missing teeth. A lot of injuries. And as soon as I clapped eyes on my um, children's mother, I associated her with drugs because we used drugs together. Yeah. And that was 20 years ago. And I started using drugs from hospital straight away. Um, and I knew I wanted to change then, but I couldn't. I didn't know how. Um, I was, this goes into what I'm doing now about, I was still listening to the same people. Yeah, who were doing the same things as me, and you know it's it's what I know now is to change my my thinking, to change my reality. I've got to change my mentality, and I've got to change who I'm listening to. Yeah. So to get the results I want, I've got to listen to people who's got the results that I want.
2: I've got yeah yeah. So did you get, did you get so, out of <clears throat> did you get out of certain groups of people? Did you, did you avoid certain people? It it took another twenty years. Really? Yeah. I was still going to prison and doing drugs and
1: madness. So it's like 2017, I went into rehab and I had a desire to change for a long time, but it's that what we were speaking about before the, before the podcast started, it's that male false ego and and false pride. And because I come from that kind of background, I didn't see any males in my family talking about feelings and emotions and getting vulnerable and so I didn't know where I could go with this. And, I, you know, I, I did feel different. I bet yeah. you did.
2: Yeah. And I did feel different. You're actually stronger, aren't you now? If you think of the masculinity yeah. stronger, if you can speak about feelings and emotions with yeah. a man and, and, be comfortable with these sort of conversations yeah. far stronger than the ego defense that you probably had yeah. for 20 years.
0: Yeah. So it was recent up until that, 2000, that, that's right. That is yeah. 2017. Yeah. You went into rehab Talk to us about what that experience was like for you, David.
1: That was the scariest thing I've ever done. And um, my brother, Philip, he's, I'm really proud of him, by the way. He's uh, seven years clean. He's got a fantastic life, lovely children. Uh, He's got his whole life together. It's coming along nicely, studying criminal psychology. He cleaned up like a long time before me, a few years before me. And he said to me, Dave, it'll be the scariest thing you've ever done. It'll be the hardest thing you've ever done but it would be the best thing you've ever done. Yeah. And uh, it was really scary. It was really scary.
0: In terms of what was the most scary thing about it? Was it those feelings, David, that you were having to confront for the first time really in your life?
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. And um, I I was saying to Craig a minute ago about trust. Yeah. I'll give you a glimpse of the background I come from. So trust. I was taught not to trust people. Yeah. You know? Oh, the yeah.
2: only person as a three-year-old that you associated with a good safety, uh, you know, illusion in a way, which you know, it wasn't she, an illusion. Yeah, it was an illusion. That's it. it got shattered yeah. when I was three. And you know, where are you going to get trust from after that? When a police officer says, "Get your this little shit away from me," you ain't going to have any trust nah. after that. And your mum and dad are disappeared. Well, that's why it
0: was lucky that you fell into the hands of your grandparents who. Was a little bit of that for you, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah,
1: definitely. They're really family-orientated people and staunch people yeah. and, you know, family first, and that's their philosophy on my dad's side of the family. Um, it wasn't that
0: case in parts of my mum's side, but yeah. Um, yeah, I was fortunate, yeah. It's just a shame to think there's that many kids out there now that could be going through something similar and they've got a, not that strong family support networking place to fall back onto. So talk to us about what you're doing now with your life then. The guy that's been through all of this pain, all of this addiction, stuck in it for 20 plus years. No, I
1: was stuck in it for 30 odd years. 30 I, years. Oh, that's the class A side of it. The 20 years is the, that going back to that point in I've my got, life yeah, yeah. where I, I knew that it was all over, but yeah. I still carried on for another 20 years because I didn't know the solution. I didn't know how
0: to get out of that rut. And you and you hit rehab, uh, you confront those... those awful emotions that are going on inside of you. Yeah. Then what happened after that day? It's a, it's a process. It's, you know, it's not like any,
1: like just changing there and then it's yeah. a continued process that continues to this day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I faced my fears. I opened up to, to someone and what helped me was knowing that the counselor that I was speaking to a lovely lady, Sue Gray, got to give her a shout out. Yeah. Um, she, I knew she was bound by confidentiality, you know, so that helped me. Do you know what I mean? And, and I think I was blessed because it was a woman. I just found it easier to open up to a okay, woman. Yeah. I don't know what, why that is, but I just found that easier. Yeah. Now I can open up to men. I'm all right. You know, I just own that. I'm just a man. Do you know Absolutely what I mean? Absolutely. And, right, yeah. and we're, all, we're all born with these same feelings yeah. and emotions. Absolutely, and it's about learning how we manage them. Yeah. Um, but, but the background I come from, I was never taught that, you know. Like I just seen these big because my dad was well thought of in a criminal sense, and my yeah. uncles were. Um, so I just seen that as role models. So um, yeah, now I came out of there and I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to um, to help other people who's had similar experiences as me. Yeah, and that's what I do now. I work in a rehab, and um, the rehab I work for uh, has got a CQC report of outstanding yeah and, I, and i'm just really blessed to work there and I, I i do two days a week because of my personal circumstances and um it's just amazing it's amazing you know and I, i've only been there since may but like um the people who i interact with the people who i um work work for you know like the clients yeah. residents I've had some really positive feedback from them. And I know I'm not a skilled, I'm not a counsellor, I'm not skilled in this area or that area, but they, it's the human touch that they, they, Absolutely they get that. Out You've of. got
0: more than qualifications, yeah. you've been through it all and come out the other side of it, It's that you can't put a value
2: on that. Yeah. You? Unfortunately, yeah. this is a problem as well that we highlight now and again with counsellors and therapists. Yeah. They wouldn't be as good as you because they haven't had those experiences. Mm. They've learnt it in a textbook and they can... Memorise information and intelligence and repeat that. Yeah. But when you can, like, you'll probably speak to a lad uh, on the level and just say from your experience, mm. thousand times the information it means he a lot needs. more, mate. Yeah. It, I,
1: I understand what you mean there, Craig. And I, I, my mindset was very, very similar, if not identical, until recently. And I'll tell you why that is because where I work, there's a there's a person. Was well, there's probably more than one, but there's one that I know of who was working alongside me and training me in the residential support role. Yeah. Who, while she was doing that, has gone on to... She was finishing her study to be the counsellor. And she hasn't got the experience of, of addiction. However, she's like just a good human being. I've got, and, yeah. and I said to her, I said to her, to to the person in question because um, she was questioning herself yeah. when she made the transition from residential support worker to, to counsellor. And, you know, like um, she'd just trained me to be the support worker. Um, she was one of the people who had. And then she, um, she, she she, was having some doubts when we were talking. And I said, look, I said, I ain't just saying this, but I'm telling you now, from someone who comes from a background of not being able to trust anyone, if I came to rehab and you was my counsellor I would find it so easy to open up to you. That's it. So my my thinking's changing along them lines, you know, like yeah. um I do get what you mean though. There's, I know when someone's just going from a textbook. Yeah. yeah. But, but she's got the human touch, this person in particular. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And Definitely. it's just
0: nice to hear that through this process, David, as well, uh that that emotion of trust is building up in you again. You're starting yeah. to trust people. You're yeah. starting to trust yourself.
1: Yeah. 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 Trusting myself yeah. because when I when I first came out of addiction I was I was that confused about everything. I'd made so many wrong decisions yeah. and always getting things wrong and it always felt like I was getting things wrong and um So I didn't even I was scared to even communicate with people in case I offended or of in case I said something wrong. It's yeah. it's like my brother said, like Phil said, he said, Dave, it's it's gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah but it's definitely worth it, you know.
0: Well, David, I tell you what, I mean, we're close towards the end of the podcast, but one thing that I think is really important, if with what you've been through, and if there's anyone out there going through a similar story that David's gone through, what is the one thing, and it's hard to always put it down to one thing, but what advice would you give to that person that could be watching this now that was in the same situation as you to try and get out of it, David? Take a leap of faith and um,
1: talk And ask for help. That was another thing as a man coming from that environment. Yeah. Having to think that I could do it on my own. Um, Just
2: ask for help. And it's all right to be
1: vulnerable. It's all right to be real.
2: Yeah. Can I just ask as well, uh, with the changes now, what is the difference in your life? I mean, what's it like? It's funny how you, you could have came out of rehab and decided just to work and be happy that you don't live with your pain, but you decided to give back, which is a, you know, a constant metaphor that everybody seems to do when they go for this change. So what do you get from it? What? I get um, immense feelings of self-worth. Um, it's nice.
1: And it's a constant reminder to myself that of where I was yeah. and where I am. And, and it's really knowing that anyone can change. You know, anyone can change. You start changing the way you think and who you listen to, you
2: can change. Yeah, well, you, that story sounds like a superstar yeah. story for me. Thanks very yeah. much, David. All right,
1: can I just end go on for this? It, yeah. I'm on a roll now. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I was nervous a minute ago. I don't want you to go now. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> no, um, when one uh, my friend Roger said to me, um, you know, when I come out, I couldn't. I find it hard hard to hold eye contact with people and. And it was down to my self-worth. I didn't have no self-worth and low self-esteem, really low self-esteem coming out of addiction. And uh, I said to Roger, he could identify with it, but he was a lot further in, in me, a lot um, on the road to it. Yeah, yeah, So uh, he said, do you know how you build your self-worth up and, and, and your self-esteem? I said, how? He said, do things for people, help people without there being any reward in it for you. Yeah. Just do things, do nice things, do kind
0: things without there being any reward in it for you. But really the reward is you feel good for Absolutely. doing it. So, it. so there is a reward. And that's what yeah. we're always looking for to make ourselves in a sense, feel better. And if you can do that in a selfless way, yeah. that's the best way. And if that happen.
2: makes you uh, selfish and using your ego, but yeah. you uh, do it for helping everybody else, that's the, the most uh the best selfish way you can be yeah, you sure. know what I mean yeah. yeah go for it so it's
0: been brilliant having you on dad and we'd love to have you on again and tell you some more of the story where you are in six months time in terms of how you've been able to support and help people would you like to do that I'd love to do that and uh, I just want
1: to say thank you to everyone who's um helped me to get to this point today and thank you
2: to you guys for inviting me Thank you for inviting me into your home too. It's a pleasure. Man. I it. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I think away. David would make a, probably got a good few stories to help prisoners out there as well. Prisoners uh, struggling inside, yeah. addict, uh, you know, you could probably yeah. do a good podcast on that in the future if you would like to.
1: I'm happy to. Um, one of the people that helped me uh, is called Peer Mentors, Uh mentor in the West Midlands. It's a, it's, a, it's an organisation where they help people and it goes right across the board of like criminality and addiction. So it's people right at the bottom in a homeless hostel, which is where I ended up or people like who think they're gangsters in guns and gangs. So this organization helps all types of people involved in dysfunctional living, I'd call it. So um, they have asked me to uh, work with them
0: so that goes back to what you just said yeah i'm happy to do a podcast anytime we'd love to have you back on mate all right thanks everybody thanks for tuning in